The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. Thankful for uh, your faithfulness to us. Thankful for the fact that your son revealed uh, your plans for us, your design for the way our Christian lives can be lived. And as we look at these things tonight, we ask that we might be encouraged by them, especially as they relate to how we live from one day to the next. And we thank you for all of this. Amen. So we're going to go to John chapter 14. Of course, that's where we're still working. We're going to go back up um, uh, in this context. Did I flip it this way or that way? Let's go back up to John 14 and verse 10 for just a moment, uh, just to remind ourselves of this fact, because this, this all ties in here. In verse 10, he says, Do you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The utterances, or the words that I speak, I do not speak for, I do not speak from myself, but the Father in, that is abiding in me, notice, does his work. This is going to come up again later on, when he's going to talk about not only things we're going to say, things we're going to do and Jesus looked at it the same way you're acting and you're doing go hand in hand and this is going to come back hopefully if I remember to kind of go with my with follow my notes hopefully uh, we will come back to that idea uh, as an example of what we're looking at tonight um, moving on we had a promise that we have already looked at and um, let's uh um, go back and let's look at this. Let's go to verse 18. This is uh, 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 1418. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I am, he uses a, a present, present tense verb, I am coming to you. Now that statement, and this is, this is important because it's going to contrast to what we're going to be looking at here tonight, is that... Um, when he says, I am coming to you, or I will not leave you as orphans, he's talking, I believe, about the time between his death and resurrection and the time that he ascends at the day of Pentecost. So he's going to spend time with these disciples off and on over the period of those about 40 days. Because remember from Pentecost, or excuse me, from Passover to Pentecost, there was 50 days. In fact, that's one of the reasons that the word Pentecost was used, because it was Penta, 50. So it had to do with 50 days, uh, and it had to do with the harvest, but it was 50 days after Passover. 40, it's about 40 days then that he spends with them, because remember, he, he's resurrected three days after his resurrection. That leaves you with 47 days left, but he doesn't stay. It's, scripture says he stays 40 days. So the disciples are waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. They, he's promised them that, whether they fully understood that or not they're waiting in that upper room for about four for about five to seven days up there and there's about 120 people gathered in that and that's all over in acts chapter one and i'm sure most of us were all familiar with that <clears throat> if we haven't read it for a while you can go back and do that on your own but i, I just question. yes is that i translated in That is used in verse 3 when it says, I will come. 
go back to verse 3, and if I go away and prepare a place for you, I am coming. Yes, so it's also, yeah, so it is also um, a present tense, and it's just looking at the vividness of the certainty that he's, he says that I'm coming to you. Yeah. Anyway, but I, my, the point I'm making is, is I really believe verse 18 is about the 11 disciples. Okay. But then we've been, we sat um, on uh, verse 19 a little bit. He says, yet a little while in the world does not see me. And that word see uh, isn't a glance. It's not a, uh, just a, a casual brief being able to see. It's the verb theoreo means to be able to really look at and think about with attention, to examine, to like, hmm, what, who is this? And that's what the disciples were able to do. They were able to see that. You remember um, at the end of the Gospel of John, John 21, what does Peter say? I am going fishing. I'm going fishing. And a bunch of the other disciples go with him. And in the morning... They come up and Jesus is on the seashore waiting for them. And there's a lot of story that goes in there. But when he ends up, when they end up on the seashore, he actually has fixed breakfast for them. And there's some fish there. And he actually tells them, tells them to eat that, to take some of that. And it's also when he appears to them the night that he's resurrected, that, or that, that evening, the first, what we would call Sunday evening, and he appears to them. He says, do you have any food here? And he takes that food and, and eats it. To demonstrate, he's not a ghost because that's what some of these people are thinking. He's a ghost, and is, what I always think of is, is I always remember back when Peggy and I were in college, we went to see the movie Ghostbusters, and there's this big green, kind of funny-looking ghost thing goes around. He's always gobbling food, but it all just goes in his mouth and falls out on the ground because he's a ghost. See, and there was something very significant about the fact that Jesus took food and actually ate it because there aren't really any ghosts. I think we all understand that. There are spirits, but they're not people. Uh, they're not human beings that are going around in spirit form haunting people. That's, um, that's popular opinion, but that's not biblical. So he says, yet a little while and the world doesn't see me, but you will see me. So the disciples were able to see that, see him. They were able to actually lay their eyes on him and examine him and watch him pick up food and look at his hands. And they could even potentially touch him and interact with him uh, in that space of those 40 days. So then I'm just kind of, this mostly is review, but that brings us into verse 20 that we looked at where he's talking that they're going to have an experiential knowledge of their relationship in the Father and, and in the Son and the Son in them. And then that brings us to verse 21. This is where we want to go tonight. And the one having my commands, now the command word he has commands is plural. We've already done this back when we were looking at the command back at the end of chapter 13. It's plural. But why is it plural? Why does he say commands, not command? Do you remember? Yeah, he repeats that command in lots of different ways. Exactly. In fact, one of the ways that one of the ways that we're going to see this command repeated. In fact, one of the ways that you and I know it's competed is greater love has no man than this than he lay down, lay down his life. Yeah, that's that is that is that what he said at the end of John 13? No, but is it the same command? It is. In, in essence, it's the same idea, ultimately. 
And we're going to look at one, the one that I want to end with is going to be over in 1 John chapter 3. Again, I'm trying to, second time I've tried to remind myself to make sure we, we hit that passage before we end tonight. So he says in verse 21, the one having my commands and keeping them. And that word keep, and this is the, this is very important when we see the word keep, because we have a, we have a Hebrew word like this too. We have the word shamar in the Hebrew, to guard. And then we also have the word, so a lot of times, and there's several times over in the Hebrew that we have shamar, wa, asa, keep and do. That's important because lots of people think keeping means doing. And they equate the two. And yet the Old Testament demonstrates you can keep or guard a thing, but you also need to do it. In fact, one of the things we would say about probably the religious leaders of Jesus' day is that they were really big on keeping the commands. Hey, this is the way it is. Don't, there's commands like this, and they know all the details. But they were really bad at doing the commands. That's why Jesus even said this, right? He says, whatever they tell you, do. Don't do like them, but do what they tell you because they were communicating the law. So he says, he says obey them. They're actually laying out the law. They were guarding it. But don't behave like them because they weren't good at doing the law, Jesus said. So when we're talking here in verse 21, the one that has my commands and keeps or guards them. This is, why, why do we need to guard? Why do you think we need to guard his commands? The, and the command is the command to love. Why do you think we need to guard that command? And so it doesn't get distorted. We forget about it and it gets distorted. In fact, it, and you guys all know this because how many times have I said this over the years? I hear so many Christians say, Jesus, the highest command is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and to love your neighbors yourself. And I always hear that I'm just like, it's fingers on a blackboard. Because Jesus trumps that command by saying, now I want you to love. Not with everything you got. Not with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. I want you to love like I loved. And again, I think without the Holy Spirit's ministry, that's impossible. So it wasn't possible. So he didn't ask Israel to do an impossible thing in the Old Testament. Remember, he tells them that with the law. Paul says that about the law. That the law wasn't something. He says that you got to travel across the sea to get it. It was there. They potentially could have done the law if it weren't for the sin nature problem. And so he says here, the one that has my command and keeps them, he guards it. You, you have to constantly remind yourself, what am I really supposed to do? Here's, here's, another, here's another problem with, with the new command. The new command says to love, to love, what's the, what's the pronoun? To love one another. One another of your fellow believers, not your fellow man. Again, that's a huge, that's a huge problem. Christian, or, or God doesn't tell us as Christians that we can't be nice out there to the people in the world. But that's not a fulfillment of the command. And we, and that gets distorted frequently in Christianity that, you know, you see the homeless person and you feel bad and you think, oh, I should go get them blankets and I should take food to them. And there's nothing wrong with doing any of that. But that's not fulfilling the command Christ gave us. 
So that another in that other passage is another of a similar. It's another of a similar kind. Yes, exactly. I honestly think this also goes back similar to what you're talking to, what we saw with Timothy just the other day. With if people attack the way, the manner of your empowerment, then you can't love. That's right. Then you can't be guarding the commandment. So if you totally change the methodology of the Christian life to legalism, you're not guarding the commandment. That's right. That's right. You can't be abiding in Christ. Thus, you have no fruit. So you're wasting your time. That's right. And that, because you've said that, that really ties back to what we spent a couple of weeks looking at there in verse 20. That in that day you'll experientially know that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. I mean, that's the foundation of the way the whole Christian life goes. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm so thankful for Josh pointing out that verse in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 4 and verse 17 that where Paul said, you know, these are my ways in Christ, which I say everywhere in every church. <laughs> this wasn't just something that Paul happened to say once in a while. It was the foundation of what Paul taught people because it's the way it's, and it, I know I, you, well, some of you have been around me for 30 years, some of you less, but I sound like a broken record because I talk about this so much. You might think Josh sounds like a broken record because I don't know. I could go back and look at how long he's been doing this class, but at least two years he's been going over our position in Christ, just working through the New Testament. But the thing is, one of the things he's demonstrating, if you get nothing else out of the class, it's that that permeates everything that the Paul was writing because it's foundational. So the one having my command and keeping them that's the one loving me. And whether you love Christ by having his command and guarding that command, making sure that the command is not altered, it's not distorted, it's not teaching, hey, we need to, we need to live by law or anything like that. It's focusing on, focusing on God the way God empowers us, which Jesus hasn't revealed that yet. All he's done is kind of give us the foundation in verse 20. You get to chapter 15. He's actually going to explain how it works with the vine and the branches picture. But the vine and branches doesn't make any sense if you don't understand verse 20. Anyway, we will get there someday. <laughs> the rapture may happen. At the pace I'm moving, the rapture will happen before we get there anyway. Verse 20, that implies the rapture is slow. It's not. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't imply that. So, um, that is the one loving me. And the one loving me, now get this, the one loving me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will manifest or make myself plainly visible to him. Now, there's kind of like a double way of understanding this last statement that he's going to make himself plainly visible to this person number one is that there are people that they well let's let's just stick with the main point and then we'll come back to no problem with this he is going to use you as i would say as a vessel for showing himself we're going to see this before we're done tonight we're going to look at another passage that will bear this out Okay, but if he's making himself visible for you, through you, when he does that, do you also get to see that? Yeah, you're also getting to see Christ in you. So this is not, I remember over 30 years ago when we were living in Iowa City, I'm driving to the guy's Bible study one night and I'm driving there and turned, had the 
local Christian radio station on. I don't remember. I have no idea who this guy was that was talking at the time, but he's saying, I realized I had never been crucified with Christ. And I prayed that I would be crucified. And I felt myself get pulled back in the chair. And I felt the, the nails go through. And all that stuff that is something God credits to us, but he never actually physically puts us through an experience of that. This man was thinking he needed to experience that. Number one. Number two, he says, and God appeared to him. Jesus Christ appeared to him in the room. He saw Jesus Christ. I don't know why this guy, I, I, I'm, he was wrong from the get-go. So when he says this, he says, and Jesus appeared to him as this bright green light. Now, I don't know if he drew that out of Revelation chapter four, where there's a green halo or a green rainbow around God. Uh, I don't know. But he sees this green light. And uh, back then, I just have to say back then, I, I, I maybe learned to take a little bit different tact when people tell me stuff like this. I'm just always like, oh. That's interesting. That's interesting. Because you know, the thing is to tell a person, you didn't see that. Is that, I don't know what they saw. Who knows what drugs they were in. <laughs> yeah. I have somebody that comes into the store at least twice a year and tells me that they had a, a, a vision with Jesus and they saw, they saw the bluest eyes ever. And if you deliver something to his house, you smell marijuana. So, I mean, that's what I attribute it to. This might be the same person that came to, sat in my office with me for two hours telling me that he saw this vision of Jesus. And when I, when I said, I don't know what you saw, but I can tell you, according to scripture, Jesus does not appear like that today. We've got scriptures and I read, showed some scriptures to him. He, he hasn't wanted to talk to me since. He'll I say hi at the post office. It's but likely I, that Jesus didn't have blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But they were not <laughs> just regular blue eyes. They were the bluest yeah. eyes. Yeah. Anyway. I don't... I, as you can see, when I... when I, I, I don't know if I'm talking to the same person that Josh was talking to, but nonetheless... It's, it's just the fact that there are people, there are people, there are Christians out there. They want Jesus to appear to them. I don't, and I don't know what, what they're looking for. Are they an apparition? They want Jesus to stand up. Um, a lot of you probably don't even know who Oral Roberts uh, is or what was. Second Corinthians 5 passage. We know him no more according to the flesh. Yeah, yeah. And we have another passage, 1 Peter 3, 8, um, whom not seen and not seen now. He, changed, he goes from a past tense to a, to a present. We haven't seen him and we're not seeing him. And yet we still love him. So you can love him without actually having to see him visually. But anyway, we just say that because there are people that are looking for this manifestation. But this manifestation that he's talking about is when he, and this goes back again to verse 20, when he's going to live out his life through you in an act of love. He, you're, he's going to cause you to fulfill that new commandment. And you're going to love somebody with the kind of love that he had. And you're going to stand there and you're going to go, that's not me. That's not me. Because I know what my love, what my love is like. I've been married, Peggy and I have been married for 37 years. I just always have to check myself. Okay, I think how old Katie is. And I use that. So 37 years, and yet I can guarantee you in 37 years, my wife has experienced a lot of Tim's love, where Tim's doing things because he thinks it's going to 
make her happy. And then if she's happy, then I can be happy. And it's just, and it's selfish. But there are times when there are things that she needs and my, and I'm like, that's not me. I don't want to do this. But I relate to who I am in Christ and I have his kind of love and I do that. And I stand there going, wow, that's really incredible because that I know that wasn't me because I don't do that. That's not the way I function. That's not the way I respond to her. Not the way I handle those things. And so that's this manifestation when he says, I manifest myself to him. Now, verse 22. And Judas, not Iscariot, so there was, remember, there was two Judases that were in the, if you remember Ben Orth's class on the disciples from a couple of years ago that he did with us. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, what's going to happen that you're going to make yourself plainly visible to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied and said to him, if there is anyone who loves me, then he will keep, or that word keep safe or guard, my word, and my father will love him. And we, now he's, he's changing. It's this is something he and the father are doing together. Then we will come to him. We will come to him and we will make our abiding or our dwelling place with him. And this word for dwelling place that we've talked about, this word mane, is talking about a place where you're comfortable, where you're at ease. I am, for those of you that are dog people, I apologize, but I'm not a dog person. And I have friends that are dog people, and I can go hang out at their houses. But I, but I also, I'm always like, I'm not at ease because when you're sitting there in a chair and the dog comes up all of a sudden, boom, there's a lick on your knee. It's like, look, don't do that. I know what you do with that tongue. I don't want it touching me. <laughs> That's just, I, I, that, those kind of things I don't handle that well. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, that's me. And I, and I've also gone, I, I'm trying to think where this was, but it's since we lived here in Royal City, I had to go someplace and I had to stay. I was not with Peggy. I think it was with some other guys. But, but I was going to sleep on the living room floor, it seems like. And I was just kind of like this. Let's put it this way. My wife keeps a very immaculate house. It's very clean, which I really appreciate. But I went and had to stay in this, in this place and I'm just kind of like, Oh, just remember, there's a shower in the morning. <laughs> this is me. Now, I'm using all those illustrations only to say that I was there and I stayed in a location. There was a house that was provided to shelter me in both those cases, person with a dog, person living in this, uh, uh, this house that was not as clean as, as we would keep our place, or I should say Peg keeps. I helped some, but I can't take credit for it too much. But I wasn't at ease there. I wasn't at home. I wasn't, but I've gone to people's places where you go and you stay. And I'm very at home and I'm very relaxed. And some of that's me, you know, don't go, well, Tim, you just need to be, I'm just telling you, this is my personality that I'm not at ease. So there's some people's place I go to that I am very at ease there. I can come in, I can relax. I can fluff, I could flop over on their couch and I could fall asleep and take a nap. I could do that. Why do I say all this? Because that's this idea of this word that we will make our abode or our abiding place or our home, my, my English has over here, with him. 
So in other words, the Father and the Son come to the believer when you have their word and you're guarding that word. And you're doing that, they actually can come and they can be comfortable here. You are providing by the way you're relating to the things that Christ has said, you are providing them a comfortable place to rest. It's interesting that he uses this language. Peter uses something similar in 1 Peter 4 where he says, do you know what? If you suffer as a believer, as a Christian, as an anointed one, you can be happy. I was like, I was just thinking about that. We were having this discussion. I was talking with somebody about this about three or four days ago about, I think people are always going, doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Yeah, he does. But you know one of the ways he said you can be happy? Peter said, you can be happy by suffering as a believer with the right attitude. I can make you happy. Well, that's not what people want. What they want is human happiness. I got human happiness because I got good food and I got a fancy stuff. Anyway. Can I share something? Yes. I was just that part about disclosing myself to him. I was noticing in my Bible, the word disclose has a footnote that uh, goes back to Exodus 33:18. So I turned to that, and it's when Moses is... Um, on the mountain with God, and he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you cannot see my face, because no man can see my face. Behold, there's a place by me. You shall stand there in the rock, and I'll come about. My glory is passing by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. And then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So even Moses didn't see God when his glory was done, and you know, we know he had a shining. And so then you go over to 2 Corinthians, I was looking, and it says, but we all with, oh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And that kind of ties it together that the disclosing is going to be through the manifestation of the Spirit. That's right. And there's the Bible study. <laughs> there's the Bible study. No. No, I think that, that's really cool. It is. You and I, the, the point is, is in reality, you and I potentially have a better connection with God and the Lord Jesus Christ than even Moses had, who actually got to see some of God pass by. Yeah, God, see, God, God see, got glory. God's he, backside. He had, he had face-to-face encounters with God the Son all the time. Because he was shining. Yeah, he would. No. That's no. how God, God spoke to him directly. He Yeah. Yes. I think it's interesting, though, that he didn't see the vision of God. He saw he, it was God's face was not. I mean, it was just the light. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So let's go back over to John chapter 14. 
and we're, I see we were in verse uh, 23. It says, we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. So here's the father and the son. And this is very important because there are, there are segments of, of, of Christianity that teaches that only one person of the Godhead can be present on earth at a time. The Bible doesn't actually teach that. That's just a theological development that some have. And so therefore, there are some people that think that only one person of the Godhead can indwell you at a time. So they say the Son doesn't indwell you and the Father doesn't indwell you. The Spirit indwells you and he represents the Father and the Son in you. Are they confusing that? Because obviously God is omnipresent, so he's everywhere at once. But are they confusing that with maybe the residency, that the Spirit's residency was I, I don't know all their reasoning all their all their reasoning for why they go that way but it's like I said it's a theological development that they think only one person can be at a time but you know that's not true because I mean when Jesus was baptized the father speaks out of heaven and the people hear it and the spirit descends upon Jesus in a form like that of a dove you know so all three persons were present there and all three persons, by the way, indwell us. Okay, that I knew that I knew the Spirit was in me growing up because we were taught that a lot at church. I even knew God the Son was in me because I knew that when I was a little guy, even before I knew about the Spirit. After I got saved, I knew Jesus was in my heart. I could tell people that. I didn't know what that meant, but I could tell them that. But I know the Father was in me. That was a whole new thing to learn. God the Father's in me, but I didn't know what any of that meant. I didn't know what it meant for me. That was something I learned later on. But all of this to say here that while the Father and the Son are always with us, they're not always at home. He's saying here that they're going to come and they're going to actually make their place where they're at ease here. Oh, I didn't finish the statement about Peter. Because Peter says that when you suffer like a Christian, he says the Spirit, our Bible says, rests upon him. But that word rest is the word pao, to rest with refreshment. To go, <sighs> like last well, a week or two ago when we were doing the roof up there and you're up there in that hot, hot, and you're doing all this work and you're sweating. And if, you're, if you guys don't know me, I sweat like, like, I sweat. I sweat, sweat, sweat. You sweat and, when you swim. I do. Yeah, I do. I just, it's, and I just get hot. And so then you come down and you know what's refreshing? is to go in the shower and turn that shower on ice cold and stand under just an ice cold shower for like 10 minutes to just cool everything down. You know, it feels so good. What? What's funny? 10 minutes or 10 seconds. Oh, oh it, well, yeah, there, there's a little bit of noise at the beginning of the shower because of that, because you're getting used to cold. Anyway, but it's refreshing. That's what I'm saying. Thanks for, thanks for telling me. But... There was a refreshment. He says, and you well, provide you that. Some earplugs, but you know, it's fun. <laughs> I purposely go back there and hear <laughs> But think about that. When you as a believer suffer with the right attitude, the Holy Spirit gets refreshment from you. And I think the reason for that is because is there's lots of believers that do everything in their power to avoid suffering, including sometimes not living like a Christian, kind of living like undercover Christian just to avoid problems. It's so, okay. it's so rare for uh, a Christian to handle it that way. It's almost like a, a refreshing, like, wow, so 
this. Yeah. So there's a refreshment. So in the same way that he rests with refreshment, the Father and the Son, they come and they, they're at home with us. Now, we know that when there's times that the Spirit is not at home because uh, we're sinning and grieving. Yes. But he's still there. But he's still there. Just like the Father and the Son are still there, even when they're not at home. Even when you and they're I are... abiding comfortably. Yeah, yeah. They're not at home here because it's we're not creating... Like we've let the dog in <laughs> yeah it's exactly that was exactly my point you know it's you know there's not a clean spot to sit in the house you know and they ask, invite you to come in and sit down and you're like where i don't know you know and you don't want to be rude you know so verse 24 john 14 24 the one that is not loving me that one does not keep my words now, I think this is important to understand because when he makes a statement in verse 24, it's really easy for us to come and say, well, this must be unsaved people. But I don't think this is unsaved people because he's talking to his disciples about this. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe he's talking about unbelievers in the last part. But I think what he's saying is there are believers that, uh, excuse me, there are believers then that don't love him because they don't guard his word. And you need to remember that. Not every believer loves God and not every believer loves the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as Jim's been doing it, is asking the question in class, do believers love Satan? Well, sometimes by the what we do, the things that he wants us to do, I'm kind of, a little bit of what Jim's been getting at. Yeah, sometimes we are kind of showing our love that way. And people would be shocked to ever stop and think about that. But anyway, but the word which you hear is not mine but it's from the Father who has sent me. In other words, and we've gone over this. We did this back a few months back. We did a long study. I was just looking through it the other day in, in some of my in a, one of my notebooks where we were looking at all the statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, uh, "I'm doing the Father's will. I'm doing the Father's will. I'm doing the will of the one that sent me. I'm doing the works that the one that sent me gave me to do. I'm saying the words that He gave me to say." So it's Jesus is going through life. He's not just willy nilly making things up. He's actually doing what God wants him to do, what the Father wants him to do through this. And so as he's saying this in here, he says, you know what? This is really important for us to understand that there are believers, us included, myself included, that I am not always guarding his words. I get lackadaisical in my Christian life. I'm not loving other believers. I'm not guarding that new command in the way I think. Let me let me give well, you. Any time we're grieving the spirit, we're not loving God. That's right, and and grieving the spirit in the context of Ephesians four, where he mentions it, is actually when you're working contrary to what the spirit's doing. The spirit's trying to create unity in the body, and you're going around losing your temper and kicking at the other believers. But but let me let me give you this example because this is something that I was struggling with the other day, and. Uh, the other morning, I was out early Monday morning and I was thinking about, I was praying and talking to God a lot about this. And uh, it's real interesting because I've been in the daily Bible study videos where I've been going over the doctrine of God. I was talking about God being righteous and God being truth. I was talking about those two things. And yet here I was, I was going, God, why can't we, da, 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 fill in the, I had a blank that I was filling in. I'm not gonna tell you guys what it was, but why can't we, it wasn't like go off and do a bad thing. 
you know, that wasn't what it was. It was just what it was kind of like, why is why is a church? Why can't we do this as church? You know, it's what I was doing. And it's not like it's a bad thing. It's not like, oh, that's the wrong kind of church. But in struggling with that, going through that, I was like, you know what? We're we're doing, I think, what we want or what you want us to be doing here. We're going through this process, um, thinking about these things and uh, saying, God, your truth. And I'm really what I'm doing right now, the way I was doing is I'm questioning your righteousness and I'm questioning your the validity of your truth by my very question, by the very fact I'm asking you this, I'm saying, God, apparently you don't want this for us. Therefore, it must, you know, and it was a real revelation. And before I, before I came, walked home, I was walking on the track, putting on the armor of God and thinking about this and going home. And I was so much better because the rest of the day went well. I, Aram helped me work on the steps and I'm telling you, he probably would really have hated having to work with me if he would have showed up and I was the way I was when I got out of bed that morning. Or Peggy, if she would have had to, to deal with me. I think that you walked up and met me at the track and by the time she got up there, this whole thing was gone, it was settled. And it had to do with, in part, that I was questioning his word about what he wants us as a church to do. That as a church, well, as believers, he wants us to keep his command. He wants us to guard his word, to keep his word. And that word is the word about the new command. But sometimes as a believer, and this was me that morning, and I've gone through this before and other believers do this, sometimes I don't, and this is verse 24, sometimes I don't keep his word. I don't guard it. I'm like, God, can, can I love you like this? Isn't, can, couldn't I do this? Wouldn't this be an okay alternative? In this, do you, I mean, you all understand what I'm saying? We try to rethink how we should do church. Does that ever happen? We try to rethink how I ought to be doing my the, the work that God's given me to do. Maybe I ought to be doing this. Maybe I ought to be, and maybe God does have some other things for me to do sometimes and always what's obvious, but you get the point. We guard that new command. We say, this is what he's given me to do. And, um, and there's lots of ways that that works out and the way that we do that. It, being a pastor teacher, one of the chief things is actually taking time to study the word so that I can feed you the word of God. It's just like, you know, if my wife, this this would be Tim. If this Tim the Bachelor, I would be buying Red Baron Supreme Pizza, throw them in the oven. I'd do that probably three nights a week. I would be, there's a lot of nights I'd come home from the office and I'm like, I'm good with a bowl of Cheerios that I ate for breakfast. I'll have Cheerios, almonds, and some peanut butter. This is what I'll eat for supper. You know, this is what I'd be doing. But you know what? I eat better than that because I have a wife that puts in effort and time and cooks and buys ingredients and puts them together and made Asian noodle salad or broccoli chicken that I told her it tasted like Yen Ching's, good Chinese restaurant we used to eat at when we were in college. I was like, man, this is, I haven't had chicken, broccoli chicken this good in years. Anyway, now why am I going on about all that? Because what? that- Apple crisp. Apple crisp. Or apple crisp. Oh, don't get me started on apple crisp. Oh. Anyway, but, but the reason I say that is because as a pastor, that's one of the things that I really think that I and the other people that have teaching gifts, this is one of the things God wants us to do. He wants us to put in the effort that a person would put in to fix a nice meal, to fix the meal of the Word of God, to study this out and put this together to teach you this. Like it's sitting down to a good meal, not frozen pizza. Not that frozen pizza is bad, <laughs> but you get the idea. 
I can guarantee you, as much as I love Red Baron Supreme, it does thaw out and it does warm up. <laughs> it does, yeah. It's, <laughs> but it's not as it's not as good as Peggy's homemade pizza. Um, so I'm just using this as an illustration that that's part of the way you you use your gift. You use your gift by serving believers, and you don't reinvent your gift. You don't reinvent your gift. Now, okay. Having said all of that, now. I want to I want to chase a couple of things down. One of them we already looked at over well, maybe we didn't all look at it, but let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to look at the first part of this chapter. We looked at this um, back a few months ago on Sunday mornings when we were looking at uh, the covenant, the new covenant for the church. And it tells us, uh, let's go to verse 1, it says, do we, again, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, having been written in our hearts, known and read by all men. And then he goes, and you are plainly visible, different word than the one we had over there, but it is a word for being plainly visible that you are a letter of Christ that has been ministered or cared for by us, having been written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, in not in flesh or not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Now, we've said this before. You are a letter of Christ. Because Christ dwells in you, you have a potential as part of this new covenant to be a letter that people can read. They should be seeing Christ in you, and it's like reading a letter. The image is the image. I mean, they're not literally reading you. You get this. This is a, uh, an image. But if you go down to verse 18, then the verse that Leslie was mentioning, verse 18. Now we all then, with an unveiled face, unlike Moses that put a veil over his face because his face glowed and then it, the glory faded, we all, with an unveiled face, we are reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed or transfigured. I love that word because it only occurs four times in the New Testament and two times it's used of Jesus Christ being transfigured before the three disciples that he took with him up the mountain where they saw him transfigured and then Moses and Elijah showed up and talked with him. You and I, in a similar way, get to be transfigured from glory to glory, not from glory to less glory to less glory to no glory like Moses, but from glory to glory. We go on in glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit can cause you to reflect Christ's glory. And really, all of this that happens, though Paul doesn't go over it in this immediate statement here, but and this is a, it's a, by the way, it's another non-law thing like Josh was saying, because in verse 17, he says, where the spirit is, there's freedom. There's liberty. So the spirit brings freedom. He doesn't take you back to law because there's some statements about the law in between. But anyway, all that to say is that when you as a believer have the commandments of the Lord and you guard those commandments and then you also live those things out, you as a believer are being transformed and right here, just like Jesus is saying, you are showing forth Christ-likeness. Okay. So, let's go to um, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 
just to remind ourselves of these statements. 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, at the end of the chapter. Let's go to verse 20. It says, If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one that is not loving his brother, whom he has seen, then he's not able to love God whom he has not seen. And this is his command that we have from him, that the one loving God should love his brother. Verse 1 of chapter 5, everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ, this one has been born from God. And everyone loving the one having been begotten, or the one having begotten, excuse me, loves also the one having been begotten from him. In other words, the command, again, John's saying this over here just as much as he repeats the words of Jesus over there in John 13. You love God the Father by loving his kids. You don't love God the Father by loving the devil's kids. And by the way, he talks about the devil's kids in chapter 3, verse 10. This is how you know the children of God and the children of the devil. Let's go back and look at that for a moment. John chapter 3 and verse 10. John 3 and verse 10, by this are plainly visible the children of God and the children of devil. the devil. Everyone not practicing righteousness. If we stop there, we'd all be wondering, well, what does he mean by righteousness? But he's going to go on and explain it. This one is not from God. Even the one not loving his brother. The no, I'm not saying this is exclusively this case, but the number one righteous activity you as a believer do is love your brother in Christ. Not that. We love our brother in Christ. And anyway, I'm just going to chase a rabbit trail, but we won't go down that. But that's, how, that's one of the things. In other words, what he's saying is, you don't see the unsaved do this. The unsaved do not do this kind of righteousness. They don't love other believers. Because they're unsaved. They don't love the believers. Oh, they do kind acts for one another out there. But they don't love believers. In fact, as Jesus says over in John 15, at the end of John 15, he says, you know what, guys? He's telling the 11. The world's going to hate you, and don't be surprised they hate it, because they hated me. And you know why they hated me? Because I said what they needed to hear, and I did what needed to be done, and they didn't like either one of those. And you know what? You can be a friend of the world out there and be a nice guy to your neighbor, and you should. But the minute God opens the door for you to tell your neighbor, this is who Jesus Christ is. And this is what you need to do. Whether they will vocally or physically do anything to express their anger, I can guarantee you inside they are like, I don't like this person because this person is making me uncomfortable right now, essentially telling me I'm not good enough. And you may not have even done that. You may not even said, you're a horrible, horrible person. Why, I know as my neighbor that you do this and that. We're not even doing that. You're just telling them Christ came into the world to die on the cross for our sins. And he buried and rose again. And you can be forgiven of all those sins and righteous with God if you just believe in him. And that is, Paul tells us, that's an offensive message. There's no, you can't package that. The church, I hear people all that. Same message, but we can repackage it. Baloney. Paul says that message is offensive. And the reason I'm saying that is because what Paul is, or what John is saying here is, the unsaved, the children of the devil, they don't love the children of God. They don't love the children of God because if you just live the way you're supposed to as a believer, 
you are just like Christ. You are an offense to them. Now, I do think that verse nine is very important because it says no one who was born out from God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And that is the new nature cannot sin. It's the old nature does, and the old man does. So if we're functioning in our old man, we are not going to love the brethren. This is talking about if you are operating in your new nature, you will love. Yeah. And I think sometimes, well, well, and what, are, and what are you doing? When you're functioning in your new nature, what are you actually living as? You're living as a child of God. Because what's the nature? The nature, according to Peter, it's the nature you get from the Father. And it's what constitutes you a child of God. You've been born from Him and you... Yeah. Yeah. You've got daddy's genes in you. That's right. There's, there's a couple boys in here that look like their dad back there okay if the garnet boys were here i could look at them and i go they look like their dad i just know that i always remember that when you looked at the key kids it's like oh, you're a key you're a key you're a key there was a couple that looked a little different but most of them they all you can just see they got daddy's genes not every kid looks exactly like their father but you get the point we actually have the privilege of looking like our father okay now so here in chapter 3, then, let's go down to verse 16. Say the verse again. 16. 1 John 3, 16. It's another one of the 316 verses. It says, By this we have known the love, because that one, in place of us, laid... Excuse me. That one, in place of us, laid down his life, and we ought, or are obliged to lay down our life on behalf of our brothers. Now, when he says to lay down your life, then you, th this is the question. I used to read this verse, and I always thought, I'm supposed to die, I guess, you know? And I always was thinking, how often do you get a chance to do that? Most of us are going to live a whole life, and you're not going to get an opportunity to lay down your life for somebody else. Yes, Peggy. This is John, who was with Jesus. And he watched... Yeah, John, John, or John watched Jesus do this. So notice how John explains how you and I lay down our life. Whoever has the things of life of this world, what does it take for life in this world? What, what does, at the bare minimum, what does a person need? Food and water. Food, food, food and water and, and, and adequate clothing, okay? In fact, we, we say shelter, but what? Yeah, if it's if it's cold, it's really interesting. In the Old Testament, it told them, if you cannot you cannot take a man's cloak or robe as a pledge. You remember why it said that? Because because that's his covering. That was his shelter. That's what he says. That's what he wrapped himself up and slept in. From what I understand is, 
It sounded like the average Jew at the end of the day wrapped himself up in the same cloak that he wore, walked around in all day. We usually go home and we change into pajamas or something, you know, clean, but they would wrap themselves up in their cloak and that's what they slept in. So they weren't supposed to do that. So I'm just saying that's an example of the clothing function to shelter for a lot of people in their world. So food, Peggy said water and shelter. It's interesting, John or James has a, a parallel on the issue of faith and faith and love go hand in hand in so many passages. If you ever want to study on your own, pull up your computer Bible thing and look at faith and love and look at how many passages faith and love occur together. Because James talking about a very similar matter. They're both Christian life issues, by the way. Anyway, I don't, I'm going to teach James when we're here to do that. So, verse 17, whoever has the things of life of this world, and he sees, and this word see isn't glance. This is, you can see well that there's a need here. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue. I apologize uh, to the Garnicks here, Jeremy and, and uh, Holland, that I've used this illustration probably to the point that they're like, oh yeah, we've heard this before. But there were several years ago that I remember they showed up for Sunday school and the boys are like, oh, oh. Terry, Terry put out her muffins and stuff that she puts over those boys. are like, oh, I'm starving. I'm like, what's the matter? Oh, we didn't eat breakfast this morning. And I was like, oh, I was like, Peg, I said, I wonder if they, did they not have money for breakfast, for food? You know, I'm thinking about this. And then I said something to one of the parents and the parents are like, no, they didn't eat this morning because they were pokey getting out of the house and they didn't eat their breakfast. And we said, we're going to church and they didn't, you know, and they went out because of that. See, if I would have gone without a careful examination of what happened, I would have assumed, oh, they must not have money for food. Peg, we better give them some cash so that they can afford to feed their poor little boys. You know, that wasn't it at all. So what, he, and the reason I say that, use that illustration, I apologize if you guys don't want me to use that illustration, tell me, please don't use it anymore. But anyway, to me, it's so good. This idea is seen is that you really see there's a real need. You know that they don't have what they need to be able to provide food for themselves. You know that they don't have what they need to clothe themselves. And you see that plainly, but you have the things to provide for that. And you close up your feelings of your deep feelings of compassion from him he says how does the love of god abide there's that word as a verb how is the love of god at home in you you mean you can go all day to him oh i love i love god i love god and i love people but if you have the ability to help somebody that has a real need and you don't do it a believer then guess what he says that's not love and the love isn't abiding it's not at ease in you verse 18 my little children, let us love not in word or in tongue. Now, I remember I spoke this down at the park once when we had church at the park and I had two people come up after, right, right afterwards. Are you telling me that I can't tell my wife I love her? I didn't say that. What I'm just saying, Paul's or John is telling, don't love by saying I love you. He says love by work and in truth. Work meaning you do something for them. That's how you love. And that's important because love is not just Peg sitting on one side of the living room. I'm sitting on the other side. I'm on my computer. I look up and go, ah. you know, that, that's, a, that's a kind of love. Or you look at your kids and go, oh, you look at your grandkids, ah, you know. That's not what he's talking about. Those are fuzzy feelings. This kind of agape love is saying, there's a need here. My wife has a need. 
I can address that need. My grandkids have a need. You people have a need. I can, I can, God can use me with this need. That's love. It's doing something. It's not just feeling warm fuzzies for a person. But the last part we hit on many times, and it's in truth because, well, if you go to church and you're told what love is supposed to look like, you can then go, well, <laughs> like, Lewis has this need and I wouldn't want people to think I don't love, so I, I don't want to help the guy, but maybe I better help him with this thing. Anyway, because I don't want people to think ill of Tim. No, do it genuinely. In other words, I... If you can't do it, if you can't do it genuinely, then it's easy to say, then just don't do it. But I would actually say this, get your attitude straightened, straightened out. That's the better way to do it. Not just say, God doesn't need you to do it. He still wants you to do it. He just wants you to get your attitude straightened out and do it the right way. I've had people say, because I've had people at church, you should help with this. I, I just don't, just don't think I have a right attitude about it. I shouldn't help with it. <laughs> I remember telling, standing, talking to a talking to a man at the back of the church, somebody that was a church here for a long time. I said, you know what? You can straighten your attitude out and do it with the right reason. And the person was just kind of like, that's not the answer you want to hear. It's like, I don't have the right attitude. It's my escape from having to actually do something. Okay. Now, why do we come over here? Because it's showing you one of the ways that you love is by using what God's given you to help somebody else, another believer that has a real need. So now turn with me to 2 Corinthians again. This time we're going to chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm going to go back up to verse 1. It says, We make known to you, brothers, the grace of God that was given among the churches of Macedonia, that by the great proving of adversity and the abundance of their joy and the extreme depth of their poverty. We've always said this today, or always say this when we come to this. We always think what poverty is. You want to know what poverty is? It's when you look at your kids, the faces of your kids and go, I don't know how I'm going to feed them tonight. And it's not because you were lazy and didn't go to the store. It's because the cupboard is empty and so is my pocketbook. So the depth of their poverty is, is, is what we're looking at. But it abounded to the riches of their generosity that according to their ability and beyond their ability. How did you give beyond your ability? People today can give beyond their ability because churches take credit cards, right? They have online giving. You can give a credit card and you can give. And this happened to a church in Moses Lake over 20 years ago that there were two families that, because that, we had people here at church that had attended church and there were two families that went bankrupt and the bankruptcy people went after the church up there saying, you need to return all of their tithes and offerings that have been given in the last, I think like one or two years. I don't remember. There's some something that works with bankruptcy like this. And it was a substantial chunk of, these people were going bankrupt and they were giving loads of cash to this particular church. Loads of money. What? Loads of credit. Loads of credit, yeah. And so they had to give that back. So these, couldn't, these people don't do that. So what does it mean if they give beyond their ability? I always look at it like this. Well, I might be wrong in this, but it's like you're looking at your five kids and say, guess what? This week, kids, beans and rice. Because we're good at, we're sending some money to the poor, impoverished saints in Judea. 
and your kids are like, beans and rice. Can't we have a little chicken once in a while? Can't afford chicken. If I, get, if, I, if I buy you chicken, we can't help these people. Is that maybe a picture of giving beyond what you're able? It actually means you're going to have to sacrifice something. We just never think about that as Christians. That God wants me to sacrifice something I would like to be able to be involved with somebody else. And so he says they did this. He says, beyond their ability and with much encouragement or exhortation, begging us for this, and this, I don't know how your Bibles translate it, but begging us then for this grace. This is funny. Our Bibles hide that. But they looked at the opportunity to give to a need. Not talking about putting money in a church offering plate. We're talking about that there was believers in need in Judea due to a famine. You can read about this in the book of Acts. And they were taking up a collection to help those believers. And that was a thing of grace. We never think about giving's a thing of grace. It should be. If you're, if you're operating by grace, it's going to be the proper motive. And it's a fellowship of this ministry unto the saints. And then not even as we hope, but they gave themselves first to the Lord through the will of God. In other words, they didn't give money in lieu of giving themselves, which sometimes that happens. And it's easier for some Christians to write a check than it is to say, I will show up and help. Just let me write a check. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. But if you're giving yourself to the Lord, what does the Lord do with that? He puts you to work serving people, just like... Well, could these people actually get there? Well, no, I don't think they're doing that. I just think what they're doing is that they're being a help to Paul in what they're doing and how they're help, helping accomplish these things. Now, in this context, then, we're going to jump down from here and we're going to go down to... Um, let's go down to verse... Let's go down to verse 12 here. It says, For if the eagerness is present, according to what a person has, it is acceptable, not according to what he doesn't have. You can always say, Oh, I'm ready to give. I'm eager to give. But you don't have anything to give. Well, that's not what he says. It's the eagerness is according to what you do have. So if you only have this and you give from this, then he says that's acceptable. If you give from what you do have. Not going, when God blesses me. When I went to seminary down there, I, I, I met the man's wife. He had left her. But he was always saying, when God allows my business to expand and I grow my business and I do this, and his, his, his business did grow. He said, when I do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a whole new church out here. And I build all this, and I'm going to give a million bucks to the seminary and to the church and all this stuff. And guess what? The guy became a millionaire seven times over, expanded his business a lot, and did not give a penny to the church. In fact, well, anyway, that's all we need to say. What? We'll stop. And that's verse 12. He says, if the, eagerness, if the eagerness is present... According to what one has, it is well received. It's well acceptable. Not according to what he doesn't have. A lot of people give away what they don't have. Paul's saying it's acceptable if you're eager out of what you do have. So give that. And the significance is for the Macedonian church, what did they have? Not a lot. They were very poor. So remember Jesus in the temple, people coming along, clink, 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 clink. 
and a lady comes by and drops in essentially two little coins. And Jesus said, you see that woman? She gave more than all those people. People that emptied and people were probably dropping the equivalent of two or $300 in coins in there. And she puts in all of her living. So it's not appropriate to make a promise in respect to my lotto winnings I'm planning on? No, no it's not, no it's not. Okay. So we got one last. We got one other. We got one last part here. Let's go to chapter nine here in here. Looking at this, all of this, all of this in this context is uh, is very important for for what we're talking about. How Christ manifests. Remember the whole the whole reason I'm starting this is because back there he says the one that has my commandment. Here's my word. Guards it. He says. I will love him and I will manifest myself to him or by him. So, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. And this, the one sowing sparingly, reaps sowing sparingly. And the one sowing, or the one sowing upon a blessing, reaps a blessing. Now, your Bibles don't translate that way. Mine says, sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. It's not the word bountiful. It's the word blessed. It's the word a good word. You are sowing because you're saying a good word about what you're doing, and guess what you get back? Tenfold? No. There's a good word that comes back. When you give with the right attitude, there's a good word that's involved with that. Then verse 7. Each one then, as he has previously decided in his heart, don't let anybody in any religious organization, church or otherwise, ever tell you, you got to give till it hurts, and you got to tithe. And no, he says, each person gives as you previously, and there's other words for the, that in this context of talking about how you, dis, you determine in your heart, it's not out of grief. If you're giving out of grief, you shouldn't be given. You should get your attitude straight. It's what you should do. But don't give out of grief, nor out of necessity. Don't give out of necessity because it's like, oh, they're poor people. There. Oh, I should give something to them because they're, you know. Don't do that. Don't do that. For God loves a, what's he say? Okay. Well, here's the question. Whenever you, we see the word love, what is something that we should connect with that? God loves. When God loves, God, does. what? Does. God does something. When God loves, God acts. Just like we looked at the example of us loving over in 1 John chapter, chapter 3. Our love is not in our word or tongue. It's in our action. Jesus was telling his disciples this. You love by laying, greater love is no man than this, and he lays down his life for a friend. You love by your action. That's right. That's right. He acted. He acted in his love. Now, here it says, God loves a cheerful giver. What, what is God doing? What did we just see over there in John 14 in the first part of the Bible study? The person that's doing this, let's go back over there and look at this. Going back to John 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And oh, I'm, this is my verse. 
verse 21, the one having my commands and keeping them, this is the one loving me, and the one loving me, notice, will be loved by the Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. And then Judas says, how is this all going to happen? And he says in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he guards my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and we will make our comfortable abode with him. You get that moment when you're loving with the right attitude because you're remembering who you are in Christ and the Spirit's giving you this love and you're actually using that love for another believer. You get this moment in here where the Father and the Son are with you and they are at home here. And on top of that, the verse we started with in verse 21, the Son's making himself visible to you. That is an act of love by the Father and the Son to you as a believer. You get to see the Son visible when you love. And they together set up, shall we say, a comfortable abode with you in this moment. That's how they love you. And you get this experience of experiencing something different than you. You're getting to experience the what you are as a child of God. You're getting to experience the Father's nature being worked out in, through you. You're getting to experience eternal life, the life you get because the Son is in you, being worked out through you. That's your experience. So you get to see Christ's you're getting, you're getting to see Christ's likeness in you rather than Tim likeness. I don't like Tim likeness. Tim likeness is Sorry, it's selfish and it's disgusting. I know, I know what I look like. I've got, I've got so many parts of me that I'm just like, I don't want to see that anymore. There's days I kind of selfishly want the rapture just because I'm tired of looking at myself and the way I act. Now, some of this Bible study is some things that I've worked on over the years studying this out. But I have to go back to say, I learned, I had this Bible study probably the first winter we were in seminary. And we were at, you guys won't know who these people were, but Josh may. We were at during Kathy Kleintops for Wednesday night Bible study. And we're sitting over there. And one of the pastors at our church was going over this. We're sitting in their living room. And he went over that this verse here in John chapter 14. And he got done. He, he was going through this. And I was, I've been sitting there. I was just like, oh. when he was done, it was, I was like a kid. It's like, it's like. The Avengers movie's over? No, more and more. It's so exciting. You know, it was better than that. By way much. I was so excited when he got done with that Bible study in there. And I don't know that he was his aunt. I probably got kind of animated. I'm a little sweaty up here because I kind of got worked up. I apologize if I was too worked up tonight. But to me, this is so exciting that you and I as a believer have the privilege of actually having the Father and the Son be at home here in us, living out that kind of life through us and that kind of nature. Just it's crazy. And you and I are getting to see something even greater than Moses saw in the cleft of the mountain, which I'm thankful for you bringing that passage up. It's a good, it's a good comparison. It was, that was a big deal. Don't get me wrong. That was a big deal for Moses. But yeah, Josh, please. We got two things. I got bad news and good news. The bad news is Oh. 
Sorry, DC Comics, please. DC. DC, I'm sorry. The good news is I got a comment that relates to this. Please share the good comment then. <laughs> share the good comment, please. Um, something I think is really neat in John, 1 John 4. Yeah. Um, I always come to the end of that chapter and it, you know, it says, We love. And then it, the King James adds him, but it's just, We love because he first loved us. And I always kind of go back and forth on who the he is there. Is it talking about the son or the father, right? Where's that? First John 4, 19. Oh, okay. Because you go back in the context, you have the son. Uh, as he is in this world, so are we in this world. That's the son. Uh, but if you go up higher, it's clearly talking about the father. You go back to um, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this we manifest, was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only unique son into the world that we might live through him. Now, what's cool about this is this is different than, first, than John 3.16. John 3.16 is a general statement about God sent the world, God so loved the world, he sent his unique one-of-a-kind son, right? It's, it's a testament of God's love to the world. This is talking about believers. Mm -hmm. So there's a slight nuance difference here. And it's actually worlds apart, really, in its effectiveness and what it accomplishes. But you can see the purpose of sending a son over there is that we might believe, right? Here it is that we might live through him. So it's talking about Christian life, not get saved. So it's kind of cool. And then in verse 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, which is kind of goes, it's kind of the preface to verse 10 or verse 19, right? Not that we love God over here. We love, why do we love? The answer is because he loved. He first sent the son specifically for Christians that he would be a satisfaction concerning our sins. So that not just that he died and provided a, 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 a sacrifice, but that it the, the propitiation looks at the other end of the cross work, right? It looks at that it was effective to us. God was when we believed and we got put into Christ and he became our the satisfaction, that's when it becomes effective. And so that is shows really a, a very focused target of the love of God in sending the Son. Right? <laughs> So, I don't know, it's just a fun thing. And then when you come down to this, we love because he first loved us, I tend to think, even though I can see it going to the sun, and if it goes to the sun, then I'm thinking, well, you think through the rest of the book of John and what, what verses would it go to, right? But in this context, and I think it could go back to the sun, but I feel like in this 10 verses, it goes more back to the father. Not, and most of the time, we, we quickly think the sun because it is the nearest antecedent. But that's not always how antecedents work. Sometimes it goes back to a farther antecedent. So, I don't know. It's kind of a fun little passage. Yeah. Thank you. So, all of this just in closing then, I hope, as much as it, it does every time I think about these verses and think about this stuff regularly, hope it's a challenge to you to stop and say, God's given me this great salvation. For every moment of every day, he says, I'm at the Father's right hand. Every moment of every day, I can set my mind to that. 
And one of the things that is a potential, that is really the command he gave to us, is to love each other like he, like Christ loved us. And when we're doing that, you and I have this privilege of actually having the Father and the Son kind of set up this comfortable place with us. And it's something you get, and it's, it's, it really is, it's something, honestly, it is experiential. It's not warm fuzzies. It's not like, oh, I feel a glow in my chest. It's not burning in the bosom like Mormons get. But there is something about really experiencing going, this is really kind of crazy watching God do this through me. And it's not like you're having an out-of-body experience, but you are really getting to see God accomplish something. And the thing is, a lot of times, a lot of things you can't plan. You can get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to, because Sundays, this happens on Sundays for me. Sundays is like one of the days that's sort of planned. I'm going to get up, this, this, and these are the things that are going to happen. And you know what happens? There are Sundays that the thing that actually, is one, of the, one of the things that God has planned is for what I get to do on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night here, but it's, sometimes it's also those other things. It's that person that you talk with after or before or just today. I, he's not here, so I'm not embarrassing him, but working with Aram, and we were working in this room doing carpet and stripping that up today and just talking about stuff, you know, and you're just kind of like, God, this is, this is really crazy, you know, that you get these opportunities to do this with people. So that was like one today that I was just kind of like, wow, that was really cool, God, that, you know, I didn't plan for that. When I got up today, it was like, hey, he's going to come over. We're going to work on this carpet. <laughs> that's what that's what it was about. But God has other things in store, you know, that that you you can't, I, like I say, you can't plan for them because you don't, you don't know when you roll out of bed in the morning some of the things that opportunities that God has for you that day. But one of those opportunities I'm going to guess for all of us just about every day is he's going to bring at least one believer into your life that you can demonstrate love to. At least once, I'm going to venture to say. And that I, I don't think I'm sticking my neck out too far to say that because if that's the command, I think he would be giving you that opportunity daily, not just occasionally. I had one opportunity three weeks ago. No. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we don't always think about that. We always think that you know to be used by God, I got to be used someplace else. <laughs> I got to do something with the church or, the, or people in my other believers in my community. But yeah, your family, taking time with them and just letting God use you. I appreciate that. So. Okay. Any other comments? Questions? I have a question. In First John four verse eleven, where it says, "Beloved, if God's well," in my translation it says, "If God so loved us." So I'm wondering, is that the same "so loved" that they translate in verse sixteen of John three? It is. So He loved us in this way. In this way. And He loved us in this way because verse ten says He sent. Our Bible says he gave us somebody, apostella, he sent his son as a satisfaction concerning our sins. So then when it follows to say we also ought to love one another in, in this way, not so much. So is that if first class condition, beloved since God so loved us, or beloved if... God loved us and he did. And he did. Yeah, he did then love us like this. Then we ought to love one another. And he doesn't say we love one another exactly that way. He just says, if God loved us like this, 
we also ought to love one another. It's almost like if God, if, if the whole purpose, it's not just so that he could satisfy considering our sins and then that's it. We're saved. No, it's so that we can do something. You know, and that's really the point. Which Josh pointed out back in verse 9, uh, that God sent his special kind of son into the world that we might live through him. That's why he had to be a satisfaction. He had to satisfy God with regard to our sins so God could then give us life. He can't give life to people that are still caught in this sin. He's got he's to deal with the sin problem so that he can give you life. There's actually... Okay, there's, so the next if in verse 12, okay. is that second class, third class? We, maybe we will, maybe we won't. If we happen to love one another, then God abides if in us. If we love one another. Yeah. And we can say maybe that. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Right. Because because we have a we, we don't have an I, we have an eon. And eon is I with an on particle. On is a particle of contingency. Maybe, maybe not. So it's eon in here. So if we should happen to love one another, then God abides in us and his love is matured in us. That which again, guess what? That goes along with what we looked at over there in John 14, where he says you're going to be loved by the Father and by the Son, which is just showing you God the Father is not always loving you as a believer in exactly the same way. God might love you by disciplining you. He might love you by teaching you something. He might love you by making up this 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 abode with you so that. It says that uh, that the love is being matured. It's kind of cool when the love is matured. Not to beat a dead horse, I know. No, no. Um, it is worthwhile to actually look at John three sixteen and then look at this and see the difference, and really see that they're really talking about different things. It's, yeah, just yeah, over in John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his unique one of a kind son that the one believing in him should not perish but have eternal life and so it's looking at possessing eternal life this is saying if you look at the end of the verse that we might live through him See, it's really a very different language it goes beyond just having eternal life but actually living it out using it yeah which is well anyway. <laughs> Another Bible study it, it is it is <laughs> and that's why i'm i am going to i want to check myself on something here because i just i want to be plain on this so i just Pardon me. Let me check myself here. Um, where am I looking here? Oh, there it is. Okay, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I was I was pretty sure. This <laughs> Sometimes I, I do these things. I look at a word, and I just wanted to make sure I was honest here in verse 12. God, no one has ever beheld God, but if we if we should happen to love, and it is, it's on, I can see that, but agapo men, I'm pretty sure that's a, what we call it, it's the subjunctive mood, meaning the it's not reality, it's possibility. Uh, and it's, it's only, it's like one step removed from reality, because it's very possible, but it's not specifically what is going on necessarily. So I just wanted to make sure that I was honest in what I said there. I got another question. On verse 16, 
and we have known and believed the love which God has in, or however you take that in there, to us, or I don't know how you're going to take that in, but um, I just find that interesting, have believed, so now I'm looking at, okay, what promise is related to the love which God has to us? Hmm. Right. We're going to back to 13, the spirit he gave to us. And that would, that would, that, thank you, Jim, because that would relate to the fact that the end of that verse, it says that God has to us, but there's actually an end preposition he has in us. So this is showing there, here's another way that God loves us. He loves us by, by the work that's going on in us, and that work in us is by the spirit that he's given to us. So thank you. I think another part of that is the fact that if you love the brethren, well, back if you put the whole context of chapter four, you can't love. We say we love God, we love, we love God, we love God, we love God. But I hate my brother, right? Well, you don't love God. Well, God says, I will promise you that if you love your brethren, I'm going to be at ease in you. Do you believe that God will be at ease in you if you love the brethren? Do you believe that? Probably another promise when we went through all those, when I went for like over a year going over those promises that God's made to us, this is probably one that I skipped over. So, see what I told you? Those weren't exhaustive. That's part of your job as you're reading is to be collecting promises that God's made to you. So, okay. Well, I'm going to stop this.